night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Thanks for being here tonight. We have a fantastic program and a returning guest for you tonight. Joanne DiMaggio is an author and a past life researcher, also a certified hypnotherapist. We're going to be talking about her new book. Have it right here, in fact. It's called Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. This is a very interesting story. It's one I had not heard. And she's going to tell us what all of that means when we bring her in. We'll talk about past life meanings and and, uh, regression therapy and soul writing and a bunch of other things that she has worked on. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. Tonight's guest is also one of my favorite guests. Joanne DiMaggio has been on the program before. Joanne is an author, a past life researcher, also a certified hypnotherapist. She's got a new book, and it is called Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. And we're going to find out what all of that means as we talk to Joanne tonight. Joanne, welcome back to the program. Great to have you here. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. I had I ha- so much fun last time. Yeah, I loved having you on. I'm, gra- I'm grateful you're back with us. But I have to ask you, you know, the world is a very different place it, just in, in a matter of months as we, you know, have dealt with these lockdowns and, and pandemics and health scares and all these things that are changing the way mm-hmm. we think, live, and breathe. How is it affecting what you do, particularly with the past life stuff? Has it worked its way into that? Well, you know, actually, this is one of the uh, positives. That, that I've experienced because I, I ended up closing my office and now I'm conducting all of my regressions on Zoom. And I didn't think I could do it, but mm-hmm. another past life therapist friend of mine said, oh, yeah, I do them all the time and they're actually better than in person. And I thought, how could that be? But they are because I think people are in their own homes and they're able to relax more. Uh, and so this has enabled me now to have a clientele that's global. So I've been doing regressions on folks all over the world, which I wasn't able to do before. So there's a plus right there for me, at least with my work. Yeah, um, you know, we have a lot of psychics on the program, and psychics have been doing that not just because of COVID, but because of maybe a, a geographic issue with clientele, people all around the country or the world who want to use their services. And they seem to be able to make that connection electronically, literally, but also electronically in in the spiritual sense. When you do a regression session with somebody or do this kind of reading with people and do this work with people, when they're in person or whether they're through Zoom or Skype or whatever it happens to be, what connection do you make with them to help you um, draw from them the uh, information about their past lives? Um, Well, I, I... I actually go with them when they're describing their past life journey. So, um, you know, they're going into a very relaxed state. They're going into an altered state of consciousness. I'm guiding them into that state. And then, you know, I'm, I'm asking the questions like a reporter would to a, a, a subject that, that he or she is interviewing. And they're answering me, and we're having a conversation so that... Um, about the the past life that they've they've had. And I can see it from a higher perspective, so I can ask the the right questions. And if they get stuck, I can help them uh, go to the next part of it by saying, you know, well, what happens after that or whatever. So for me, it's um, 
uh, of, <laughs> it's a fascinating experience because I get to witness different time periods in history through the eyes of somebody that actually lived then. So, um, and at the same time, we're looking at karmic issues that, that they acquired at that time that they've brought in with them in this life. So it's a, a very rewarding on both ends, I believe. Do you have visions of what they're telling you, too, or are you just using your mind's eye to have, you know, paint a picture based on what they're telling you? Um, I'm seeing what they're, what they're seeing. I don't know how... You're I, actually seeing what they're seeing. Yeah, I could, wow. I could, it's almost like I'm, I'm with them, but I'm invisible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can actually, um, you know, if they're telling me that they're on a, in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere and they're describing it to me, I can, I can be like a silent observer and mm-hmm. see that. Uh, so, um, I don't know, uh, if that's a particular ability or if anybody can do that, but that's what I do. Do, uh, you consider that to be like a psychic connection, a spiritual connection, both? I think it's more a spiritual connection. I don't think of myself as doing any psychic work. I don't do readings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not getting the information and then giving it to them. I'm just guiding them so they can get the information themselves. So when you're doing a session and you're seeing, and you used a, a, an example of describing a cabin in the woods uh, that they're in, and, and you're seeing it as well as they're t- describing it to you. Do you look around this cabin um, as you're there as a silent observer and ask questions to them to try to get to the bottom of what they're doing there, when, what the time period is maybe, um, you know, who they are, that kind of thing? Yeah, I, we. the first thing we do in a regression is uh, after I, after they're in an altered state of consciousness and they're very, very relaxed, and I talk you know, their subconscious has come forward, um, we get identification questions out of the way first. So we first find out, you know, are they male or female? What do they look like? What color is their hair? What color is their skin? Um, what are they wearing? Uh, and then they go to the eve that same day and they, you know, I'm ha- they're having their evening meal. I'll ask them, what are you eating? Who, is there anybody there with you? Are you eating alone? Uh, what do your physical surroundings look like? Uh, you know, look outside if you're inside and tell me what the landscape is like. Are there any buildings nearby? Then we get their name, we get the year, and we get where they are geographically on the planet. So those are all the identification questions. And then after that, I switch gears a little bit and I say, scan that lifetime and tell me the significant event that happened that was so important that it made an imprint on your soul, and you brought it back with you as unfinished business into this life. And then they tell me the narrative. They'll tell me their story at that point. Uh, and I'll just let them talk as long as they, they want. I'll, if they get stuck, I'll just say, well, what happens after that? And might move them forward or backward, whatever we need. Then they go through their death scene. And then, you know, then I ask about, is there anybody from that life that's in your life now? What are the parallels between the two? Did you have any, um, any regrets? What were your last thoughts when your soul left your body? So that's typical of what a past life regression uh, consists of. What state is the subject in at that point? Are they are they in a semi hypnotic state? Or are they mm-hmm. are they just very relaxed? I mean, I'm sure that's part of it. They're every. It's different for everybody. Um, some of them go really really deep. Some of them are don't go deep at all. I've had people that can open their eyes and still give me information. Hmm. Uh, so it just depends on on their experience with working with um, altered states of consciousness. If they're meditators, 
they usually do a much better. If they're visual, they do really well. Uh, and so um, they're, you know, some of them just sense what's going on around them. They don't see it. They just feel it. Yeah. You know, they'll say, I, I, I feel this is happening. And so they can use all of their senses. It doesn't really matter how they acquire the information as long as they're getting it. And when you are, again, the silent observer in what they're seeing, do you consider that, I, I mentioned psychic, but I, one of the things I left out was remote viewing. Is that a type of remote viewing, do you think? Um, it might be. I've, I've done some of that uh, through the Monroe Institute, but I, I don't as a practice use it. Um, it's just, it's just an, it's an oddity for me. It's just that yeah. it's, uh, I'm a very visual person, so if, if they're describing... Uh, you know something that they're seeing. I'm usually right there with them. If they're they're out on the in the wilderness, I'm I'm with them. If they're in a city, walking down a cobblestone street, I'm with them. I I don't know exactly yeah. the process or how I do it, but I I just know that it works. I'm just trying to, from my audience's perspective or, or uh, assistance, give them a like you know an easy way to to visualize how you're actually doing this. But it's probably not that simple. It's it seems to be more unique than anything. Do you know other people that do this type of work that have the same experience? Is that common among people that do past life regression sessions with subjects? I don't know. I, I really haven't had an opportunity to get into depth uh, of, of a technique with other uh, other past life therapists. So I just know that's how I do it. I yeah. think with me, I just think of myself as their guide. Right. You know, I, I don't think of me as... Uh, you know, um, someone who's getting psychic information and then giving it to them. I don't believe in spoon feeding anybody. Right. You know, it, it, to me, uh, you, this is a, this is the work you need to do on yourself. And uh, you know, I'm not going to give you a roadmap, but I will. I will be there with you and uh, make sure that you're safe. And uh, it, you know, if you get into trouble, like some people, become extremely emotional. They'll just burst into tears. Uh, and so they need somebody to, um, you know, sort of hold their hand through the screen. You know, when I do them in person, I'm right there and I can just right. reach out and touch their, you know, touch their knee or something. But you can't do that with Zoom. That's one of the uh, the negative parts about it. Yeah. Um, somebody who hasn't had this done or seen it done or really maybe explored this much at all might say, well, how do you know, Joanne, that they're not just telling you a story that they're making up in their head or or maybe even relaying a dream that they had that might not necessarily be a past life? How do you make that distinction? Well, first of all, uh, that's, a, that's a very common question when people come to me and say, I'm really afraid I'm going to make this up. It's all my imagination. And I said, okay. So that implies that you, um, you know, you were at home and you thought to yourself, i got to make up this doozy of a story, and I, I'm going to spend a couple hours with Joanne, I'm going to tell her this story, and then I'm going to actually pay her to listen to me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so when I say that, they go, oh, I guess not. And then I'll, after the session, I'll say to them, so do you think you made that up? And they, to a T, I have not had one person ever say to me, yeah, I made it up. Surprise! Yeah. No, they all they all acknowledge that, and also if they experience emotion, like I had said earlier, that's a very very big sign that this is real because I cannot make them cry. Right? You know, so um, so uh, uh, I don't think anybody has shared uh, a dream uh, with me in a in a regression, and the detail that they give is uncanny. 
and uh, and a lot of them go off afterwards and look themselves up or or look up that time period. If they say I died in a plague in the 1500s in England, they'll go and look and see if in fact there was a plague in the 1500s in England. Uh, not all of them do that sort of in depth work afterwards, but some of them do just to verify sure. in their own in their own mind that that this was accurate. Yeah. Um... Do you ever have a circumstance where you ha- are working with somebody and they are making it up and you can tell? That's never happened. Oh, wow. Okay. So does that imply, and I would have to assume it does in a way, that everybody's got these within them oh, and yeah. it's just a question of bringing them to the surface? Exactly. The, the information's there. It's always been there. Uh, you know, all, all that you have to do is just have an open mind and be willing to surrender to the process. And just go with the flow. And as I tell my clients, don't hold anything back. Even if it's the most ridiculous thing you've ever thought of, yeah. say it Say it out loud. Uh, whatever pops in your head, just say it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make heads or tails out of it later on. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, um, I consider myself uh, described by Jethro Tull's song, Thick as a Brick. I feel like... <laughs> You know, whenever it comes to like the psychic energy or, you know, maybe past life regression or any of these things that require me to kind of open up in a psychic or a spiritual sense, I feel like uh, that's one thing I have a lot of trouble with. Does someone like me have success? Well, I have a lot of, not a lot of people. It's very, it's very rare that, that I, we don't succeed. I have three different scripts that I switch to. If one doesn't work, we try the other. Um, so there's different techniques to help people relax to get to that point of surrender. But that being said, there are some people who simply cannot let go. Yeah. And, and they, there's an obstacle in front of them, a big block that either they put up or spirit put up. Maybe they didn't, they're not ready for this information. Uh, and then nothing I can do will, will enable them to, to see. Uh, sometimes they'll say, I just don't see anything. Everything is, is, uh, fog or everything is black or or uh you know i can't make out anything so uh you know then i'll say well let's work on your other senses do you smell something do you hear something um you know if you reach out can you touch something so there's a lot of ways of of assisting somebody without like i said again without spoon feeding them because i i it would do absolutely no good to either one of us uh, if that were to happen, so. see that's yeah. why that's why you're the professional. <laughs> you can you know how to do this stuff. <laughs> um, I hope so. What did you find out, like in your experience with doing these sessions, or maybe studying those of others? Obviously, you studied studied Edgar Casey, which we're going to talk about. What is the typical span between lives for somebody? Usually, fifty to two hundred years. Fifty to two hundred. Mm-hmm. And yeah. d- does does everyone, or at least uh, you know, is it common, I suppose, for people to have many, many past lives? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can have hundreds of past lives. Depends on how often you want to come back to the earth. You know, people talk about old souls. This is the thing that drives me crazy, because there is no such thing as an old soul. Um, we were all created at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference between us is some of us come back fairly often, and the more we come back, the more we learn. So we give off this aura of being a very wise old sage. And, um, but to me, uh, an old soul is just a slow learner because they have to keep coming back, you know, right. and, and going through the same lessons over and over and over again. So some, uh, some people have been here more than others, uh, but that's an individual choice. Is there a, 
when you're when you're drawing this information from someone, where are they getting it from? Is it in their brain, in their subconscious? Is it in their soul, within their body, or are they reaching into maybe the akashic records or some some spiritual place that stores the information? Well, I think all of the above. Um, the, I I tell them that the information is in their soul, and they're just going to retrieve it. You know, it's been in there. Uh, the soul is the storehouse of all their past life memories, um, but uh, it's, it is also in the Akashic Records. So whether they go to the Akashic Records or not, I, I don't know. I don't lead them there. Yeah. Uh, so, like, Edgar Casey used to go to the Akashic Records to get past life information that he shared with people. But since I'm doing it directly with the person, they have access to that information themselves. So, um, you know, they, I just say, you know, just let talk to your soul. Let your soul guide you. Let your soul show you the life that is most impacting you now. And it usually works every time. Now, we're going to talk about Edgar Casey in, in terms of your book, which sounds very fascinating. I was able to read through some of it because it came the other day. Um, but as you were learning more about Edgar Casey, I mean, obviously he's got a reputation as being maybe the most important psychic of the 20th century. It's probably not hard to argue and probably few that would dispute that. Um, but in addition, he would do these past life sessions as well. Did he do them the same way that you do them? Is, was it a similar process? No, he would go into trance. Oh, he, he would, would lie down and go into trance, and okay. then he would be asked a question. And then he would go and either go to the Akashic Records to, to get the information on behalf of that individual, or he would go to his source and get the information that way. Um, so, no, it was he was not doing uh, regressions with people. And when he would... He, see, he would tell people who they were in a past life. Okay. Uh, he's not leading them to figure it out for themselves. So he would say, you know, yeah, you know, the reason that you're obese in this life is because in your previous life you made fun of obese people. You know, or, you know, the reason, the, the reason for your blindness in this life is because in your previous life uh, you, you know, used hot pokers to, uh, you know, poke out the eyes of your enemies. So he gave that kind of information, so it was the karmic, uh, you know, the cause and effect kind of information that people could then work on. And he usually gave them three or four past lives in one reading, no more than that. It's amazing stuff. So let's talk about this book. I mean, kind of the, the what I would call the introductory line that you, that, that you gave me about this book. It's an overview of uh, an eight-year research project on the life of Thomas Jefferson Davis, the nephew of Gladys Davis, mm-hmm. secretary to Edgar Casey, the most renowned psych of the 20th century. I- I'm just going to leave it there and let you tell me what this book's about. Well, um, when T.J., that's, you know, this stands for Thomas Jefferson, T.J. Davis was born um, in 1936, He had been looking in on Edgar Cayce for a while prior to him coming into physical form, and he wanted to be a part of the Cayce group, the family, um, because he had been with Mr. Cayce many, many lifetimes uh, over centuries. But by the time he looked in on him, Mr. Cayce was already older and not having any more children, and so T.J. Soul thought, well, how am I going to get there? And he thought, I can't. 
maybe I can come through Gladys. Well, Gladys wasn't married or having children, so he couldn't come that way. So then he had this ingenious idea of coming through Gladys's brother, Boyd, and his wife, Berlin Davis, um, knowing full well that they wouldn't want him, that they were not going to raise him. They both had alcohol and gambling problems, and he thought, well, they won't want me, so they'll give me to Gladys, and then Gladys will bring me to Mr. Casey, and I'll I'll accomplish what I wanted to, to accomplish in the first place. So that's exactly what he did. Um, he came in through uh, Gladys's brother, Boyd, and his wife, Berlin. Well, he spent nine months in his mother's womb, sloshing, as he tells it, in alcohol, so that by the time he was born, he was like, he said he was like a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, he's not going to live. And so Mr. Casey, knowing this, told Gladys, see if you can bring the baby over to me. And so she did. And uh, he, he did a reading, and he said, give him carnation milk, and he'll be fine. And he, they did, and he was. And that started an eight-and-a-half-year um, love affair between Mr. Casey and this little boy. The thing about uh, TJ is that, first of all, Mr. Casey named him. Uh, because he didn't have a name on his birth certificate because they thought he was going to die. And when the doctor came to give him a checkup, the doctor brought a blank birth certificate, and he said, well, what are we going to call him? And then right away, Edgar Casey pops up and says, call him Thomas Jefferson. So um, the Casey then did a life reading on TJ. He gave him a health reading to get, you know, get that carnation milk in him. Then he did a life reading on him, and he said that in he, he named four past lives that this little baby had had, one of which was Alexander the Great, another one was uh, in Atlantis, another one was in France right when they were planning the, um, the, uh, the politics of that country when the country was first getting started. Mm-hmm. And then this other one was Thomas Jefferson. And he said in the reading, this entity can do for the world what Thomas Jefferson did for this country. Pretty heavy to lay on a two-day-old baby. Very heavy. Yeah, and so my book is about why that didn't happen. What what happened in the course of that time that they had together and then afterwards that prevented that prophecy from coming true? And so it really looks at the role of free will in any person's life, but it also is an endearing love story about Edgar Casey and this little boy, because just looking at the pictures in the book, you can see how much they, you know, the yeah. love is there. Um, and what was it like living in, with, in the Casey household? You know, they have just a few people left who, who are living recipients of readings from Casey. Because don't forget, Mr. Casey died in 1945. Right. Uh, and uh, TJ was born in 1936. Uh, and so... Um, he, he uh, what's different about TJ is that he lived with the Casey's. He he knew him on a very intimate basis. You know, uh, eating dinner with breakfast, lunch, and dinner with him, uh, going to the pier and fishing with him. Uh, you know, Mr. Casey took a lot of time with TJ and taught him so many things. Taught him about reincarnation. Taught him about the uh, creation story. Taught him about karma. Taught him how to read auras. And then all the things that, that T.J. saw living there, he saw Mr. Casey levitate someone once. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Casey created a playmate for him out on the pier <laughs> who actually wasn't alive, but T.J. didn't know that. Uh, and it's it just, um, 
it's just a beautiful story, but it's also uh, it's very it's very disturbing because you know he had told his parents, you know, this is what you need to do. You, this is how you raise him. This is the education that he needs uh, in order to accomplish all the things that 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 he would be able to accomplish. And they didn't do it. They they made the choice not to do it, uh, which was especially heartbreaking when. Mr. Casey had chosen a school for him to go to out in New Hampshire, and um, he was all ready. He had his little suitcase packed, and Gladys was ready to put him on the train, and um, the mother changed her mind at the last minute, and Mr. Casey was heartsick when she did that. So it's almost like there was a tug-of-war going on for his soul between yeah. between the parents and, and, and Casey and Gladys. So, um, so anyway, that's what the book is basically about. It's about... You know the the relationship that they had, the things that TJ saw, and the effect that um, that reading had on him later in in his life. So this, the 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 description you gave us of the relationship between TJ and Edgar Casey throughout history, not just in that current mm-hmm. lifetime, uh, did that come from the reading, that two day old re- uh, newborn reading, or did it come later, or did it come before? At what point was that? discussed as, I guess they, we would call them as a part of a soul group or something, right? They are part of a soul group. That's definitely, that's definitely what it was. Um, TJ, no, no, this was, there was nothing in the reading about um, a past life that TJ may have had with, with Mr. Casey. There's some of that in, like, in, uh, in uh, I know in Mrs. Casey's reading, there was something about uh, their relationship, about who she had been, <clears throat> excuse me, to him in a previous life, and certainly with Gladys. But th- he lived in a place where this was common talk. Everybody there knew everybody else's past lives, and it was very normal to just carry on that conversation. So, you know, Mr. Casey would have TJ out on the pier, and they're fishing, and they're st- sitting on the pier, and Mr. Casey would say, hey, you know, remember when we were building the pyramids? Or, you know, I mean, it was like... It was it was just normal conversation that if somebody else had overheard it, they would have thought they were crazy. So, so TJ said that Mr. Casey shared with him some of the lives that they had together, and TJ remembered some of those lives, uh, including lifetimes that he had with Gladys, and and uh, he knew they were all part of the same soul family, and he also knew that Mr. Casey had a plan and that he was part of that plan, which is why he felt. Um, so insistent on on coming in uh, in this life while Mr. Casey was on the earth. Did Edgar Casey at that point? Um, you said he did. He did. He did. He have any children? I don't remember. Yes, he had. Um, he had three boys. One died, uh, and then he had the the two that survived were Hewlin Casey, who took over after Mr. Casey died, and um, he had an older brother. Okay. Uh, Wow. So um, he saw this child, um, and I don't know if he if he saw the 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 promise that this child had prior to doing the reading, or if the reading was the the reveal for him, or if it was a partial reveal. Then over time, he he recognized it. But Edgar Casey obviously uh, had very very had many talents and many ways he could have gotten this information. Did it all come from the reading? I, you know what? I personally don't think so. I think he knew ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, uh, TJ said that Mr. Casey used to tell them stories about 
how he envisioned uh, TJ uh, looking for him while TJ was his soul was still in spirit, and so I think that they were connected even then. He knew that TJ was looking for him and looking for a way to come to him. So he knew ahead of time everything that was going on. You know, he knew that he was going to have a difficult time uh, coming through the birth process uh, because of the mother uh, and the alcohol. Um, and uh, and he knew that, you know, Gladys was going to bring him over and uh, and that they would have this relationship. So I think in this particular case, I think there was more to it than just the reading. That would make sense to me, too. So um, let me just ask this quickly, and I'm assuming I know the answer, but um, is T.J. Davis still alive? Yes. He's oh. 84 years old. Oh, wow. Lives... I was going to assume that he left us, but... Okay. No, he's still alive. He lives here in Charlottesville, where I live. Oh, very interesting. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to that in a second. How did, okay. you, how did you learn about this story? Um, is this something that, that's commonly discussed among people who study Edgar Cayce? Um, well, I I don't know. Um, you know, when Cayce did a reading on people, he would give them a, a number. He would assign a number to them. When I joined the ARE in 1987, a friend of mine who was also an ARE member who knew that I was interested in both reincarnation and history, and she knew I was a writer uh, and always looking for interesting stories, she said, hey, do you know that Edgar Casey did this reading on this little baby and said he was, he was Alexander the Great and Thomas Jefferson? I said, really? What an interesting story that would be. So I was curious about... You know, what happens to you, what happens to a soul when they're told that they had this lofty past life from the time that they're a baby? Because TJ said that Gladys used to read him his, his reading, his life reading, like it was a bedtime story. So he, he became very uh, knowledgeable about everything in that reading from a, from a very young age. So I tried to get in touch with him uh, back in 87. I was contacting people at the ARE. Nobody, nobody would connect us. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I got warnings to stay away from him. Oh, really? Yes. And I thought, what in the world What in the world did he do? Why are they talking about him like that? Uh, one person there said, you know, he's like the son of a rock star, you know, and he lives that kind of lifestyle. So I wasn't sure. They weren't being specific. I wasn't sure if they... One of them made it implied that if we got to know each other that he would try to get money from me or, or something like that. So I thought, wow, wow, what, what is that? You know, so I, I sort of let it go. And uh, this was in 1987. I moved to Charlottesville in 1995. Unbeknownst to me, he had also moved with his family to Charlottesville from Virginia Beach. And um, we ended up uh, meeting, uh, it was Divine Orchestration, uh, I had contacted another past life therapist here in, in Charlottesville who happened to work at the University of Virginia and um, uh, in the medical center, and he mentioned to a friend of his who was a nurse about me moving here, and uh, she just she wanted to extend an invitation to me for dinner just to welcome another like-minded soul. And uh, when she called me, it turns out that she said, my husband, T.J. Davis, and I would like to invite you to dinner. Oh, wow. So I was like, <laughs> okay, universe, I see what's going on here. So we met in January of 1996. Wow. How was, yeah. that, first, how was that first discussion, that first dinner? Because you knew who you were about to meet. I knew who he was. He did not know that I knew that. And uh, I came with my two children, uh, we had a, a, 
a nice dinner. Um, he was very gracious, uh, and um, I think at some point uh, he decided to reveal who he was, which I understand he did not do very often, but he said something very shyly. He said, well, you know, Edgar Casey did this reading on me and said I was Thomas Jefferson. You know, it's like he didn't want, he didn't really want to say it out loud. And I just sat there and looked at him like, "Mm mm-hmm. You know, I didn't react because I already knew, but I didn't want to tell him I already knew because I didn't want him to think I was a groupie or something. Right, right. You know, because he has had plenty of women that that are, are fall in that category as far as he's concerned. So uh, I, I, you know, so anyway, we, we became friends. Uh, then we lost touch with each other for a few years, and then we reconnected, and I said to him, you know, I would, I would really love to write uh, your story. And because uh, I felt that he had been terribly maligned and that people were blaming him for not having done for the world what Jefferson did for this country. Well, I wanted to find out why and, and share that story. So he agreed, and then I got him to come out and do some small conversations, some little talks with some ARE members here in Charlottesville, and people were eating it up. They were mesmerized by him. And, um, and so I... You know, I recorded all of the sessions and made some notes, and then he gave me permission to go to Virginia Beach, go into the archives, the Casey Foundation archives, and to go through his files. Mm-hmm. And that's where I found uh, a treasure trove of information about his life. And it took me about eight years going back and forth and gathering all of this and interviewing him some more. But eventually I was able to uh, sandwich all the information together including a lot of the letters that Mr. Casey wrote, that Gladys wrote, and tell his story. So that's the culmination is this book. We're talking to Joanne DiMaggio tonight uh, about her book, Edgar Casey and the Unfulfilled Destiny of Thomas Jefferson Reborn. When you first met T.J., Joanne, and and you weren't letting on to the fact that you actually knew who he was because you didn't want to seem like a stalker or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, which I completely understand. Did he seem like his history, his past, was a blessing to him or a curse to him? Or didn't didn't you get a sense? Not at that first meeting, I didn't. But later on, as we spoke, it was definitely a curse. He felt it was a curse. Yes. Mm-hmm. That would. He I, said, yeah. I, he he said. No child should ever get that sort of information, uh, you know, at, at that at that age. Um, uh, so yeah, he because he didn't understand. He was supposed to get a second reading when he was thirteen years old. That was the reading that was going to clarify everything. That was the reading that was going to give him a sense of what he was here to do and really what his work was because it was never defined. Um, and Mr. Casey died before he could give him that reading. And he said that is like a turning point in his life. Mm-hmm. He, you know, without that reading, he didn't know what to do or what to think or what to expect or what direction to go in. So he became very lost. So uh, that, that would imply that maybe he, he kind of became dependent on Edgar Casey to guide him and direct him. Um, is there truth to that? Absolutely. In those early, in those early years, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Mr. Casey died, he felt that uh, he was just afloat, that he nobody really wanted to take him under their wing. His parents still didn't want him. Gladys was too busy trying to save the readings and keep the ARE together. 
and so they would send him, you know, to his grandmother in Ohio and then to an aunt and uncle and then back to Virginia Beach and then they'd hire a stranger to take care of him. So he he really hoped that he would have a place at ARE, that people there would continue with the education that Mr. Casey had been giving him, but that never happened. So, And he, he uh, wasn't even 10 years old when Edgar Casey no, died. No, he was eight and a half. Yeah. So I have to assume, based on what you said, that he felt that that was a bit of a curse, um, his his upbringing or his past. Uh, so therefore, he probably didn't stay connected to that kind of work at all, did he? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I... I uh, he had all kinds of odd jobs. What he really wanted was to work at the ARE. He said he'd even do gardening there just so that he mm-hmm. could be close to the readings, and he never was able to get a job there. Uh, I think uh, he really didn't talk about this uh, until I coaxed him out to do these talks in front of these people because he, he said, you know, whenever I say that Mr. Casey said I was Thomas Jefferson, he said I, I hesitate after I say it, I pause, because I'm waiting for people to, to stop laughing. So he really felt that this was something he wasn't going to brag about or tell him, and he's extremely humble. So he did not, um, and he's never said that he, that he was Thomas Jefferson. He said that Edgar Casey said he was Thomas Jefferson. Right. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a difference. Let there. me just a- let me just ask this question, just so we can get this cleared up. Um, sure. Is there any doubt or uncertainty about his identity? In whose mind? Uh, I I don't know. Um, okay. In yours? Uh, no. And I don't think in his anymore either. But, and I'm you know, talking about I'm talking about this is this is the T Tom T J or Thomas Jefferson Davis that Edgar Casey did the reading on at two days old, and this is this is the person, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Does anybody and dispute he, that? Pardon me? Does anyone dispute that? Oh, yeah, all the other Thomas Jeffersons. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yep, and they've come out of the woodwork since this book was published. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and one of them told me I was doing a great disservice to humanity because I was implying that this is the only Thomas Jefferson out there. Now, Another me, person say, told me she's s- channeling Jefferson. He's still on the other side. So, and being here in Charlottesville, are you kidding? There's all kinds of Thomas yeah. Jeffersons yeah. roaming around. Yeah, Charlottesville is a beautiful, beautiful city, by the way. My uncle used to be a professor at UVA uh, oh, uh, at uh, Charlottesville, and um, and so I got to spend a lot of time there. Monticello is close by; it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, there's still a little controversy surrounding this whole idea. Um, how do you deal with that? Well, it was hard at first. Uh, with any famous person, anybody that had a famous past life, you're going to find multiples of them, people claiming to have been that same person. And some of them are coming up with the, uh, you know, sort of exotic reasoning. You know, I had one say, you know, well, you know, a soul can split into into strands. A soul can divide itself. And then each of those strands goes into a different human being. And so that's why you could have multiples of Thomas Jefferson, because Ah. this one got this strand, this (laughs) one got this strand. And I'm of the school that it's one soul to one body. Uh, but you see, saying about the strand, the idea of the strands, or, you know, they get into their quantum theories and all this other stuff, um, uh, you know, that, that sort of justifies their, their point of view. Right. In, in, you know, yeah. but 
I don't, I don't buy into it. So if they want to peddle that to other people and people believe it, there's nothing much I can do about it except to just say, you know, from my 30-plus years' experience doing this work, this is what I believe, uh, and studying the, the uh, Casey material. Um, and then, you know, I mean, somebody had to have been. I mean, a famous person is entitled to multiple lifetimes just the way the rest of us are, right? Uh, so um, I get a lot of people in my practice who believe that they were somebody famous, and sometimes it's on the flimsiest of, of uh, reasons. I had a woman who said she was Patrick Henry. I said, why do you think you're Patrick Henry? And she said, because he's a good talker and so am I. <laughs> and that was the whole basis was of a, her believing that she was sure, yeah. you know, Patrick Henry. So, uh, so I take all that with a grain of salt because, honestly, with TJ, he doesn't talk about Jefferson. Uh, it's the connection to Casey that's most important to him in yeah. his life. Do, do, does a soul, from your experience, uh, are there certain souls that tend to become these important figures, historical figures, someone like Alexander the Great and or Thomas Jefferson, is that a certain kind of soul that will follow that path? Or does everybody have a roll of the dice and, and every once in a while someone come, uh, gets you know that call and they have to be that kind of leader? Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's the latter. I don't think that uh, it's, uh, any, any soul is you know, more lofty than the other and gets an opportunity to, you know, it just depends on, on uh, what that soul wants to accomplish and, um, you know, how it comes in, who it chooses as parents. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we do travel together as a pod, a soul family, and I think that sometimes within that pod, within that soul family, there are multiple, there are, there are several uh, who've had, you know, a path. That's why, you know, we, we run into people, like TJ has met some people that have been in his past lives. He, he met... Uh, uh, with, uh, a young man in Greece uh, who he said had been Alexander's best friend. Um, and certainly uh, he has met people in this life who were in the Jefferson life. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's not a priority for him. It's uh, You know, I had somebody email me after I was on another program, and she said, would you ask him about the Lewis and Clark expedition? <laughs> Well, no, <laughs> you know, that's not what this is all about. And uh, to be honest with you, um, I, after all of this time that I've spent uh, research and talking to him, I'm convinced that Mr. Casey meant something completely different by that reading than people are interpreting. I think what he meant was that uh, he could do for the world what Jefferson did for this country by sharing the Casey teachings and readings with the the public. So you don't think he actually meant that uh, T.J. Davis was the reincarnation of Thomas Jefferson, the founding father? No, I do believe that, do believe but that. I don't okay. believe that the that the prediction had to do with with T.J. leading some sort of global initiative. I see. Okay, you know that this was really he was trying to say to him because when you think about it, why would he spend so much time with him teaching him about all these esoteric uh, right. philosophies? Um, he didn't teach him about Thomas Jefferson. Right. You know, that, that didn't come up. I mean, T.J. said things. I mean, they, everybody at the A.R.E. knew who he was. They knew who his life, what his life reading had been. Um, and occasionally, T.J. would do something or say something that would, uh, would point to that. Like, 
Mr. Casey said that when he was about two years, when TJ was about two years old, he started reciting the Declaration of Independence to him and insisted that he wrote it. So, uh, and that happened to him again when he was a freshman in, in high school. I have a, a, a story about uh, how he was taking a history exam and he didn't know the answer to the question. So he says, I just put it out there to the universe and sat and wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Statute for Religious Freedom for, in Virginia. And I seized and I signed a couple of my friends' names to it, like John Adams, you know. <laughs> and he turned the paper in and they, they, uh, suspended him because oh, wow. <laughs> you know, they're like, what is this? This is a, And he goes, this is all I know about history, pass or fail me. Well, they knew he didn't cheat because he was sitting right in front of the teacher. Yeah. So where did this come from, right? I mean, who could, who, who, who of us can write right. the, out the Declaration of Independence word for word? Right. So there's a lot of stories about, about how that bleed through coming in. Uh, and, but like I said, it, to me, it was not, it was, they were interesting stories. Uh, I think the fact that he, if he, he had been Thomas Jefferson, that people would sit up and pay attention to him, and I think that was the important part too, you know. Because yeah. TJ, TJ has always said to me, he says, you know, Joanne, um, all the answers to humanity's questions are in those readings. He says, if only people would take the time to go in there and study them, he said, then we would live in a very different world. So I really, honestly think that's what this life was all about. He was meant to be doing this work. He, he hasn't done it. And I said to him, well, now with this book, you know, and you're still with us, thank God, you know, you could still go out and, and spread the word, so to speak. And, uh, you know, uh, the book's already gotten a lot of attention in Japan. He's, there's a big Casey contingency in Japan, and they're really excited about, about this and reading about him. And I said, see, you're in Japan, you're global. <laughs> Well, I say this a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I wish he would channel some of his T. Thomas Jefferson for us, because we could use that wisdom in that council right now. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he said to me, he said, I know how to get along, uh, how to uh, diplomatically get along with people in every single country. He said, they'll listen to me. I said, well, okay, how are we going to do this? <laughs> uh, you know, you don't believe in reincarnation. Uh, you're going to laugh him out of the room. Yeah. So, um, but you know, if you talk to him one on one, he has still has that charisma. He can still capture the attention of people in a room, uh, and uh, and they hang on his every word and uh, are just fascinated by him. They're mesmerized. I've I've watched it. I've sat in the back of the room and I've and uh, they gather around him like he's. You know, he's pulsating some sort of energy that's just bringing them to him. It's really quite interesting to see it, uh, and he doesn't—he doesn't feel it or see it happening. But because, um, like I said, he's fairly humble. But um, that this is—it's uh, an interesting phenomena, to be sure. Let's talk a little bit more about his birth parents. Um, mm-hmm. You said they were alcoholics. Sad mm-hmm. story, obviously. Uh, what was? Did they ever? offer an opinion that you it was recorded anywhere of of Edgar Casey's involvement in young TJ's life? Oh, there's a ton of letters that went between uh Boyd Davis and Casey and and uh Berlin Davis and Casey, especially Berlin and Casey. Uh remind us they, remind us who everybody is here. Okay, Boyd is Boyd and Berlin are TJ's biological parents. And Boyd is the brother of Gladys Davis, his secretary. 
Um, Casey did a reading on, on Boyd. Uh, he's done some, he did many readings for Berlin. Um, and that's all in the book. People couldn't, couldn't read that. Um, but, um, they were, uh, Casey pleaded with them to stay together, pleaded with them about how to raise this child even before the baby was born. He even, you know, he, he told Boyd that, that Berlin was pregnant before they even, anybody even knew. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's just a lot. Casey felt, in a way, responsible for Berlin because she had been, uh, he called her one of the girls uh, when he was the gam- riverboat gambler Bainbridge out at, at Fort Dearborn. Uh, and um, so they had that life together. And for some reason, Casey felt responsible for her and um, wanted to really uh, guide her, uh, you know. But, um, uh, you know, the letters back and forth, I think, tell the story. But uh, they did have a very close relationship uh, with with Mr. Casey. Uh, loved so, him dearly. So they saw Mr. Casey as a benefactor. Yeah, I think they looked at him as a, uh, you know, a, a spiritual guide for them. Uh, they had many readings, both of them. Some of the readings had to do with uh, their livelihood um, and, uh, you know, uh, and how to take care of, uh, how to take care of TJ. Um, they were kind of all over the place. They're very fortunate, the number of readings that they got. Um, but I think Mr. Casey was in this tug of war. He and Gladys were in a tug of war for TJ's soul with mm. um, with the parents. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, Mr. Casey wanted him around as much as he possibly could could have him. So 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 TJ used to spend long periods of time, months at a time, uh, living at the Casey house. Uh, and then his mother would decide she wanted him, and then he would go with her, or right. then he'd be sent someplace else. So, yeah, they had a really interesting interesting relationship. What was important about the school that Casey wanted T.J. to attend? Well, T.J., uh, T.J., uh, Mr. Casey had done a, um, uh, a reading on a, a woman named Eula Emmett. Now, Mrs. Emmett had started the high mowing school in Wilton, New Hampshire. It was the first Waldorf high school in North America. And Casey had given her a life reading, uh, telling her that she had previous lifetimes in Greece as well as in Atlantis. So both of those lives would have placed her in the same time period as TJ when he was Alexander in Greece and then when he was in Atlantis. Um, so this would explain why, why Mr. Casey was very keenly interested in having her teach TJ so that the two souls could then resume the relationship that they had started like 2,000 years earlier. So um, he asked Mrs. Emmett if she would take TJ, and even though he was so young, she agreed to do that. Uh, so like right after his sixth birthday, uh, TJ uh, Casey gave a reading concerning his schooling, and his source said, yeah, that's a, uh, it was a good idea. So um, they were going to enroll him in school. He had his um, little bag packed. Gladys was going to take the train with him out there. 
the parents had agreed to this. He was excited about going, uh, and then at the last minute, TJ's mother changed her mind, and she refused to let him go. The biological mother. The biological mother, and Casey was beside himself, and, um, you know, he wrote to Mrs. Emmett that Berlin had gone back on everything she said, he's not willing to let him leave, and that she got cold feet. Uh, and so Casey said, you know, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Mrs. Emmett called the decision tragic uh, and kept hoping Berlin would change her mind, which she never did. And as far as TJ is concerned, he said that he's had many turning points in his life that, you know, when a decision was made by those who were caring for him, took him down one path or another. But he said this incident with the high mowing school was the most pivotal event in his life and one that he continues to regret to this day. Wow. You said that uh, TJ is now um, limitedly talking about his experiences? and No, he's willing to talk about it, but he lives like a recluse up on a mountain. Yeah. Uh, and he has no Internet service. He has sketchy phone service. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm doing a program um, for uh, ARE Charlottesville at Unity Church in April, uh, April 17th. Uh, normally, I, I, it would be a, it's going to be a Zoom program. We're not having people there in person. So I'm trying to get TJ to, uh, he doesn't have any transportation, so this involves oh, wow. trying to get him to bring him uh, to the church so that he can, he said, I'll do it if you'll do it with me, Joanne. And I said, of course I'll do it with you. Uh, I said, but I don't think people want to hear me. I think they want to hear you. <laughs> so uh, the people in Japan wanted to, wanted to do an interview with him, too. Oh, so, I mean, I don't think I can get him up to the 21st century technology-wise. But, you know, I said, if you come to the church, you can use their equipment. So, you know, with COVID, it's just been that much yeah. more difficult to work all this stuff out. Yeah, and you may have mentioned this already, but what did... What's TJ's family situation? Did was he married? Did is he married? Did he, was he have married kids? multiple times? Okay. Yes, he had several wives. He's got uh, four children uh, that he says are are legitimate, and he's got some that aren't. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, oh and he was in Europe, I guess. Uh, he was, uh, you know, uh, planting his seeds, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, he, uh, yeah, he had uh, uh, a son with one wife, a son with another wife, and then he had two daughters uh, with his last wife. And uh, they're young; they're in their in their twenties. Um, and so he raised them. He became a house husband, uh, and he raised them. He's the jobs he's had have been so mediocre. There's nothing he can point to to say, you know, I had a career here, yeah. a career there. I mean, he was roasting coffee beans the last job that he had. Mm. Uh, so, um, yeah, so he became a house husband and, um, and raised these, these, uh, these girls. So. In, in researching and prepping for this book, as you were writing it, did you get a chance to talk to any of his children or ex-wives or wives or whatever? No, because they, they're not in the book. Um, I really wanted to focus on his years growing up in the Casey I household. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really want to get into his personal life now or current life. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't know that the um, I, I know his one daughter has re- read the manuscript before it was published, and uh, but um, but no, I I haven't really talked to them. I just wondered if you got any sense of their opinion of their father's history or ex-husband's history. The one daughter um, 
was not happy about about and I, I think and you can imagine um if you're a young person and you're trying to get your life together and you know you want to start a career uh i think in charlottesville's a small town and i think she felt like if word got out that her father thought he was thomas jefferson it would reflect badly on her right but he doesn't think he's thomas jefferson he doesn't say he is. He says Mr. Casey said he is. And whether or not he believes that he was at one point, that doesn't mean he thinks he is. That's right. Well, I think he does think he is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's confusing, I know, but I think deep inside. Because he will say things out of the blue that I, as a historian, will know that it's true. Okay. He hasn't studied Jefferson's life. Matter of fact, he didn't even study Alexander's life. Because for the longest time, he thought that people were against him uh, that knew him from that lifetime because of something that he did to them. And I said, you know, you really ought to read Alexander's biography because the things you're saying aren't even true. I said, who told you this? Because, I don't know, somebody at the beach told me. So he didn't really investigate. He's never done a regression. I was just going to ask you if you yeah, if you've no, had an opportunity. Yeah, no, he won't do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, I said, you know, we really, I even told him once, I said, this would be interesting, wouldn't it? If you could, if I could regress you and you can become, go into the Jefferson life and then just tell me what I should be telling the world. Absolutely. Wouldn't that be great? It'd be fantastic. Well, he won't do it. Uh, <laughs> so anyway. In the few minutes, first of all, where can people find the book? It's on Amazon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they'd like to go to my website, there's information about it there and my other books. And if they're interested at all in a uh, regression, I'm doing them by Zoom. And uh, the information on the different types of regressions that I do is on there, and they can book a session right online if they so choose to. All right, so all of that's on the website. Again, the website is your name, com. But I want to ask you about something that's on the website. Sure. Um, like the headline and in, in, in your description of your work, you call yourself a reporter for the universe. Yeah. My first question is, um, who are you reporting for and who are you reporting to? Are you reporting to the universe for people or from the universe to people? I am charged with the uh, soul's mission of empowering and inspiring people through the written word. So when I see a story, uh, I write, I instinctively know that's my assignment, uh, and then I, I, uh, I, I do the assignment. This book with TJ was an assignment that I was given, uh, and then when I'm done, I just move on to the next topic, which, by the way, you had mentioned about Abbey Road. Yes. Uh, my next book, I... I I don't think I told you this, but I used to be president of a Beatles fan club. No, you never told me that. Okay, well, I was. And, oh, wow. uh, and so I am writing a book on the Beatles and spirituality. Oh, fantastic. And what I'm doing is I'm going through all of my old newsletters, uh, the Beatles Club newsletters, because I kept them. I kept eight years of, of uh, newsletters. And I'm looking for signs of, did the Beatles plant the seed of spirituality in our generation that blossomed 20, 30, 40 years later in terms of the type of careers that we we have now. So am I doing this work because of something that they caught my attention, uh, you know, maybe with the 
the med- meditation yeah, sure. or that sort of thing. So that's what I'm working on now. Oh, that's fascinating. And quite another synchronicity there, too. Yep, sure is. So yep. I, I just I wanted to ask you one more thing about um, uh, your work. And you've written about soul writing. What is soul writing? And how soul does, writing, soul yeah. writing is a written form of meditation. So if you think of prayer as you talking to God and meditation as God talking to you, soul writing is you taking notes. So it's going into an altered state of consciousness uh, and asking your soul or your higher self or your spirit guide or source itself to um, provide you with uh, uh, information through the written word. That's the best way to, to describe it. It's not automatic writing, by the way. Okay. That's something different. But um, and you can use it for all kinds of purposes. You can use it for um, gaining past life information. Matter of fact, I think when T.J. was writing out the Declaration of Independence and the Statute for Religious Freedom, I think he was using a form of soul writing to do it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Fascinating book, a fascinating topic. Of course, anything with Edgar Casey attached to it is of great interest. So I can understand why you pursued this. Um, again, let people know where they can get it and how they can follow up on all of your other work. Sure, you can get the book on Amazon. And if you'd like to follow up with me or send me an email or anything like that, you can do it through my website, which is joannedimaggio.com. It's J O A N N E D I M A. G-G-I-O.com. I've had several people ask if you're related to Joe. I know. <laughs> I bet people ask you that You know, all the time. and I'm going to say, yes, I am. <laughs> and you should have seen my Aunt Marilyn. <laughs> no, That's I'm awesome. not. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, again, thanks, Joanne. Thank you so much for being here. I love having you on the show, and I love our conversations. And I very much appreciate the work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.